You're streaming the Difference Makers podcast, presented by the Savannah Economic Development Authority. On today's episode, local attorney Brad Harmon, the managing partner at Hunter McLean, shares insights on the firm's 140 years of service to Savannah. Good day to you. I'm Adam Van Bremer, your host, and this is Difference Makers, where we interview Savannah area community leaders about what they do, how they do it, and why. Difference Makers hail from several sectors, including commerce, government, education, arts and culture, and philanthropy. You probably recognize the names or at least the organizations that these Difference Makers represent. This podcast is a chance to learn what makes them so successful. Our latest Difference Maker is Brad Harmon. He's currently the managing partner at Savannah's largest law firm, Hunter McLean. today by Brad Harmon, who is the managing partner of Hunter McLean, the largest law firm in all of Savannah. He's our latest difference maker, and he's coming in. We kind of tied it a little bit to the fact that it's Hunter McLean's 140th anniversary, which in Savannah is is pretty impressive. I know that maybe we here at the paper have a longer history, but we might be one of the few that, that really do. Uh, but first, Brad, thanks for coming in and, and spending some time with us this morning. Adam, I really appreciate that. Uh, happy to be here. Looking forward to chatting with you. We're going to start where we usually do, and I know that, that you said before we lit up the microphones that you don't necessarily like to talk about yourself, but we're going to force you to do it anyway. <laughs> All right. One of these things about the biographies that we do is people, they, they probably recognize your name. They might see you on the street, recognize who you are, but and they know what you do, but they don't necessarily know a whole lot about you. So I know you were born and raised in one of the prettiest places in America, right? Seversville. Which right. Sevierville, Pigeon Forge, Gatlinburg, Tennessee. That's right. In the mountains. That's right. So were you a... Were you playing around in the mountains, or were you more in the in the more cosmopolitan part of the? No, no, it was uh, it was a true hillbilly uh, experience <laughs> growing up. We were we were in the mountains. Uh, it was an, it was a great place to grow up. Beautiful place, as you've described. Uh, my family, my parents still live there. I have a lot of family there in East Tennessee, in the mountains, and in North Carolina across the border. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to school at University of Tennessee for college. Uh, my parents did everything they could to dissuade me from doing that because they thought I would go to this large party school. Uh, uh. <laughs> and maybe flunk out. Luckily, I, that didn't happen. No, I did okay. And then uh, went to Mercer uh, University for law school, where I met my now wife Heather, who's a lawyer here in town as well. So we, her parents lived in Hilton Head, and uh, when we graduated from law school, we moved on down to Savannah in 2002. And we've been here ever since. Where did your parents want you to go? East Tennessee State. Anywhere but Tennessee. Anywhere but Tennessee. They had that reputation, huh? <laughs> right? <laughs> That's funny because I went to I went to school in Ohio. I went to Ohio University, which when my parents were kids was. Uh, for lack of a better term, it was in southeastern Ohio where they grew a lot of marijuana. Yeah, and right. Jimi Hendrix and Eric Clapton and everybody was coming in and playing, and it was always on the Playboy list of top party schools. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I didn't partake in it, right. but it's kind of interesting, the parents' vision of a mm-hmm. school and how it lasts over the years and, and transfers right. to their child, right? Yeah, my experience is very similar to what you just described. That, I mean, I enjoyed my time there, <laughs> but uh, ultimately I got a degree, and that worked out well. So growing up in the mountains, did you do a lot of hiking or was it more basketball baseball it was basketball and soccer some swimming a little bit but year round i mean that's that's what we did that's uh, but when you know as a younger uh being a hillbilly we were required to 
climb trees. So as a younger child, my brother and I would spend most of our times outdoors just playing around, you know, doing a little bit of climbing, uh, doing some very limited amateur fishing and things of that mm-hmm. nature. Older yeah. brother, younger brother? Younger brother. Younger yeah. brother. Younger so brother. You, you ruled the roost a little bit. Uh, well, I wish, that, I wish that would be a description. No, no. <laughs> it was two years younger, so if you – if. I think your children are relatively close in age, mm-hmm. um, and so you know there's lots of gnashing of teeth uh, right. when you're that that age. But he actually went on to become a lawyer in Nashville. So right. Right. my family went from having no lawyers in it to having four pretty quickly when he and I both graduated from law school and both married, both lawyers. married lawyers. Yeah, that happens often, strangely. Right. So you didn't come from eating. Your parents weren't lawyers. Did, were they no. no my, power? Were they professional? My parents were educators. My, my okay. dad was a. At one point, as assistant superintendent of schools where I grew up, uh, was a principal. Uh, my mom was a teacher and principal, and my dad coached teams and things of that nature. And they both retired from – they were lifelong school teachers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they both retired from uh, from the education system up there. And so, you know, growing up, education was paramount. That was right. uh, because of that sort of uh, context in which we grew up. Right. So that was probably the biggest influence was was from your parents was education-wise. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And we I had uh, – I was fortunate to have all four of my grandparents growing up, and they were just great people, and they were big influences as well on all of the uh, grandchildren uh, up there. So it was uh, it was a great place to grow up. It really was. And it reminds me a lot in some ways of, of Savannah, was sort of the uh, you have tight-knit community and a beautiful place. Uh, and so, you know, it's, it's nice to have grown up in a place and then to now be living somewhere mm-hmm. similar. Before we move on from there, I have to ask you about Smoky Mountain National Park right. and Dollywood. Yes, what uh, being being local? Are they? Did you have as much fun with them as people that visited? So I can remember when Dollywood was called Silver Dollar City uh, before it was rebranded with Dolly's name. Uh, we would go there periodically. So I went to Pigeon Forge Middle School, and Dollywood is in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. And if they would have a new each year, you know, they'd have some new roller coaster. Sure. And before they would open for the season, they would have the school kids come in and ride it. Uh, so tested oh, out. Very nice. So that was fun. That part was fun. But during the season, so to speak, we would never, you know, we never go to Dollywood because that's uh, that would be like uh, living in Orlando and trying to go to Disney World on July Fourth. Right. You know, it was just it was too packed. Uh, so, right. you know, but National Park is great. My uh, family had a couple of hotels in Gatlinburg, and I actually would work the third shift when I got to be older. And by that I mean like eighteen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'd spend a lot of time in the national park. You could hike up in beautiful places. Find, you know, even just sort of right off the uh, parkway, you could find waterfalls and oh, yeah. great places. I mean, it's a beautiful place. It really is. Yeah. So Dolly Parton was she a bit of a mystical figure in town, or <laughs> yeah. was she pretty? Uh, no, she local, was. Local? She, you know, she she lived mainly in Nashville, but mm-hmm. she uh, she was always around. She would you know have a parade. She had this. She was she was very um, good to the people of that community. Mm-hmm. Uh, she started a program which now has gone worldwide about giving books to young children to start them reading early. Uh, when I was in high school, she had a, a system. It was something like Dolly's Buddies. I'm not sure exactly what the term was, where you and a, uh, a, a friend had to pair up as freshman in high school, and if you both graduated, then you got $500 a piece from Dolly, and you'd go get a picture with her and all this kind of stuff. Oh, nice. uh, they did away with that the year that I started high school, but be it as it may, it always stuck with me that you know she didn't have to do those things, but she wanted to incentivize people to finish their education. Mm-hmm. Um, she, uh, yeah, I, I joke when I meet people and they don't, they never heard of Pigeon Forge or Gatlinburg. I say, well, I'm from Dollywood. Right. Basically, they get they it. Know that. Uh, I went to high school on uh, Dolly Parton Parkway. There you so go. yeah, she was. A, she's a big influence there locally. She. You know, she gives back uh, quite a bit. 
the other part of that is is country music. Is everybody country music fans there? Are you a country music fan? Uh, not particularly. I mean, I, I I know a lot of the older country music because growing up, that was what I, I mean, that was what was always being played. Um, mm-hmm. But we would also spend some time in Nashville, which right. is about three, three and a half hours away, and that's obviously the, the cradle of country music. So, yeah, that, that's it's big pretty much all, all over the state. It didn't really take as much with me, yeah. but yeah. that happens, I suppose. Let's go down to Knoxville. Did was law where did you know when you went to UT that law was where you wanted to end up? Uh, no, I went and uh, had a couple of. I was an architecture major when I started, which is again still profession, but pretty far away from uh, from the law. I had a couple of classes and um, decided I was going to do something different, and so went into the political science major. And ultimately, I decided that, that probably made sense to try to go to law school. Right. I didn't want to be a lawyer. I mean, went, went, was going to law school and did not want to be a lawyer, which is ca- completely counterintuitive. What was the plan? Then? Uh, the plan was that I was I knew that I was probably not ready to get out and get into the workforce, and I okay. would like I've always always wanted to get a professional degree. So right. once I got to law school, it was I, I realized I'd made the right choice that it was the right thing for me to do. Right. In law yeah. school, you can go work in law enforcement. You can go. Work That's right. In political and politics. That's right. You, you, you know, you get having a law degree gives you a lot of flexibility. Uh, you know, you don't have to be a lawyer, but ultimately that's what I chose to do, and it's worked out, I think, pretty well. Um, but yeah, I went to so went down to Macon Law School in Macon. Um, when I, a connection there? Why not so, stay in Tennessee? Because does Tennessee have a law? It does. Tennessee has a law school, school. Uh, but I kind of knew there's the the super senior concept. Have you heard that? Okay. Well, so I, I was not a super senior. I graduated in four years, and all of my friends were taking another football season, basically. You needed to get out. And I knew that I needed to get out of there. Uh, ultimately, it, it helped because I either was waitlisted or didn't get into Tennessee Law School, whatever it was. So that, that made the decision for me. But I knew that I, was, I wanted to do something else. I, I don't want to say see the world because I wanted to stay in the southeast. Mm-hmm. Uh, looked at a few schools: Wake Forest, Memphis, uh, and and Mercer, and applied, you know, to Vanderbilt and all these other places. Mm-hmm. When I came down to visit Mercer, it was in f- March, so it was 72 degrees. The cherry blossoms were blooming. They had all these festivals downtown. I thought, wow, this is a really great place. Met a guy that there that I lived lived with my first couple of years. So I made the decision to go to Mercer, which again, it was a great. Great decision, it's great very school. Flat though, very it is very flat, flat very different. But when I first got there uh, for orientation, it was 158 degrees, oh, yeah. and uh, I thought, "Wow, this is—I <laughs> I I do? don't know <laughs> what happened." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you know, that's an impetuous, impetuousness of youth, I guess. Uh, anyway, it worked out great. I met my wife there, got a great say, education. Was question right. was that's where you met. That's right. That's met. Heather. Heather, that's right. When you get out of Mercer, or you're mm-hmm. getting ready to get out of Mercer, what leads you to this end of I-16? So my my in-laws, soon-to-be in-laws at that point in time, lived had retired from Pittsburgh to Hilton Head. So my girlfriend slash fiance really wanted to um, get close to them. And so we made a deal that I would look at for jobs in Tennessee and Atlanta and maybe Charlotte, and she would look in this area. Mm-hmm. And whoever got the job first, that's where we would go. So she got the job first, and we headed down here, which has been, you know, we had been to Savannah a bunch uh, beforehand, so I knew it was a great place to live. Uh, so, yeah, we headed here in 2002. I worked for a sole practitioner when I first got here and then worked for a small, smaller firm for a couple of years and had been at Hunter McLean since 2000, end of 2005 or beginning of 2006. So. so by the time you were done with law school, you knew you wanted to actually practice and you were going to go ahead and, and – Chase the bar, right? I was, I, yep, that's right. We could take the bar exam um, because getting ready to get married, I had to have some income. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you may recall in two thousand one, two thousand two, we had we were still in the depths of a recession. So mm-hmm. the only 
the majority of legal jobs that were available was litigation, mm-hmm. which I didn't didn't really have an interest in doing, but now I've been doing it for 17 years. Mm-hmm. So it's funny how things work out. So uh, most of the firms that were hiring were uh, litigation-based firms, and so that set my path, my course for the next 15, 17 years. I was going to say, at that point, you're probably looking at either litigation or a state type but that, stuff, That's right? right. Yeah, a lot of the corporate transaction stuff were that it, there wasn't a lot going on at that point in time. Yeah. Um, so you move into town, you 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 start working in the business, right? What part of town are you are you living in? What are you What are your impressions of Savannah? So we uh, we moved into a bungalow uh, in Ardsley, which is great. It was a great place, uh, and we loved living there. And we worked both worked downtown, mm-hmm. uh, and it was being young, a young professional with no children. It was. It was a fun place to be. Lots to do. Lots going on on weekends. You know, there's always people. It was a vibrant city. You know, people are walking around on Saturday and Sundays. There's always a festival going on. And so we were, you know, that's what we did. We we just, you know, I didn't say took everything uh, in that Savannah had to offer, but it, we were. Uh, I'll put it this way: I'm too old now to be to be doing that all the time on the weekends. Oh, I would be worn out, for we, example. I think we all. Are. Yeah. And then, of course, uh, after that, you go ahead and start a family. And that's right. That yeah. brings you to, to where we are today. The Difference Makers podcast is a great way to learn about Savannah and those who make the city tick. But there's a catch, of course, the two-week wait between episodes. Keep up with all that's going on in our town on a more regular basis by signing up for our free newsletters. We deliver an opinion page newsletter daily, and our news team does likewise. And for the foodies and Georgia Southern fans among the audience, weekly newsletters on those topics are available as well. Visit savannahnow.com newsletters now to get those newsletters delivered straight to your email inbox. Again, that's savannahnow.com newsletters. end up at Hunter McLean. Mm-hmm. Right. And are you just kind of toiling in the ranks for a while or what's the <laughs> what's the climb or the or the uh, path? Yeah, so I was hired to uh, work for two lawyers and Chris Phillips, Kirby Mason. I've been indebted to them forever because they took a chance on me. Um, but they did medical malpractice defense and construction work and Kirby also would do some employment work. So uh, I was their associate. Uh, and then, uh, you know, I, I, I worked a lot of hours, mm-hmm. and we had a lot of the sort of younger associates working a lot of hours at the time, but I, I'd suggest that I was putting in as much or more. So be that as it may, sort of broaden my uh, practice to really focus on certain types of business litigation. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, to your, answer your question, at that point in time, it was a little bit of toiling in the, <laughs> toiling in the ranks. Right. Uh, and then... Throughout the way the firm structured is, after a certain number of years, you're eligible for you're eligible to be considered for partnership. And I was ultimately elected partner, and, uh, and that was in 2010. So it really wasn't that long ago. Although now I'm saying it, it seems, seems like about it. a decade. Yeah. So then you get to the point where you where you're you're main managing partner. So I'm I'm kind of envisioning this as your name is Harmon. So you're not a hunter. You're right. McLean. Right. Did they line all the partners up and say, okay, who wants to be managing partner? Step forward, and you were the only one that didn't step backward? No, how did no. that come about? You know, that's how some of my partners would describe the process, but it's more <laughs> involved than that. Uh, so our firm is structured where we have uh, th- three management committee members, one of whom has to be the managing partner, and those are voted on by the partnership at large. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like uh, the Senate. There's an election each year, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so – uh, it's a staggered terms, I, I guess I should say. So I had held a number of administrative roles in the firm since becoming uh, 
the a partner in 2010. Mm-hmm. And then Frank McGill, my immediate predecessor as managing partner, put me in a rotating position on the management committee where it's just a training ground. Mm-hmm. And the discussion at that point was, you know, he needs – he was relatively young as managing partner because mm-hmm. um, he may either not even be 50 years old at this point, and this would have been 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it became clear to me that he, without him having to tell me that he had identified me as his possible, maybe not likely, but possible successor. Mm-hmm. And then what you do, the concept, or at least in the DNA law firm, is put people in these administrative roles to see what, to test their mettle, give them some experience, and then you've built a bench depth from which you can choose your firm leadership. Right. And that's what we do. And so, um, you know, there's a concept a lot of times that you, that law firms are old, stodgy, and you got a bunch of old white guys that are mm-hmm. the, the leadership. And right now, we've got some relatively young people in our firm leadership. Uh, and that's what's been one thing great about the firm is it's been willing to, I don't say take risks, but go outside of a hard cast model. Unorthodox. Yeah. It's, it's you know, we do what is in the best long-term interest of the firm. Mm-hmm. Don't do something just because that's what's always been done. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they, they made Frank McGill the manager partner, I think, when he was 40. Mm-hmm. Made me the manager partner when I was 38. Mm-hmm. So... Um, you know, I'm sure some of our partners had some concern about having such youth, right. uh, but it's worked. I mean, the firm's doing well, you know, so we've had consistency of, of leadership. I'm not necessarily patting myself on the back. It's our whole team. Right. Uh, so uh, that's, that's what's one of the good things about the firm. Yeah. When you say managing partner, you talk about administrative roles. What exactly is the difference between, between the managing partner and, and the other partners? What extra duties do you have? I'll, I can talk about how that works in our firm all firms are different right. when it comes to that role right. some have sort of a ceo based model but ours for what our managing partner does is set the most paramount job is to set the long term long term strategic direction of the firm okay now you solicit input from all your partners sure. regularly yep. and, and we got a process for our processes for that um, <clears throat> so you set whether you can describe it in vague terms or uh, very definitive des- descriptions where you want to be in 5, 10, 15, 20 years uh, because my one of my roles as managing partner, again, is to is to be a steward of the law firm where we prosper not just now but we're prospering 20 years from now and 30 years from now when I'm gone uh, to help the people that you want to recruit and retain quality, good lawyers that fit our culture. Mm-hmm. And so we're thinking about people that aren't here yet. Right. I mean that's that's I mean we're 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 thinking twenty you know seven ten twenty years down the road about what we, what do we do now to make us stronger there? Right. Uh, now it's a little bit of a uh, catch twenty two because the current partners appropriately say we we want to you know we're, this is a job we want to have good income and we want to represent sophisticated clients we want to do work we like so those two uh, you know the here and now versus the long term strategic direction. Those that sometimes appear to be at odds. So that's a little bit sure. of a balancing act. So that's the, the paramount thing of the manager partner does. And then the, the next on the list of the pecking order would be you know, manage the day-to-day operations of the firm. But we have a significant amount of administrative staff, professional right. staff, uh, to help us do that. Yeah, because you're not billing hours a lot of times when you're – Well, lately I have been. But, yes, you're right. I mean, so the, we're not large enough to where you can have the management committee – no longer practice law. I mean, we have to have some sort of practice. And being 42, I want to have a practice for the next years, few years. I mean, whenever I stop doing this, I want to be able to ha- contribute to the firm meaningfully sure. in other ways. So um, it's, a, it's a little bit of a, a tough balance at times. You know, larger firms, uh, many of the large great firms in Atlanta 
someone goes to be the managing partner and they won't practice law again. Sure. You know, they will, that's what they will do for the rest of their career, whether it's five years, whether it's seven years. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not quite at that level yet because our, but who knows, maybe we'll, we'll do something like that in the next few years. So yeah, it's interesting because right now through our management committee consists of myself, Sean Katchmar, who's a school board member, I believe you know, and Tom Cullen, who's our, he's our real estate practice group leader, even though he does corporate work. Mm-hmm. And we are three of the highest billers uh, mm-hmm. this, this year, which is an aberration, but that, that happens. And right. what you typically want, the people that we, the firm has chosen as the firm leaders usually are quality lawyers. Again, I'm, I'm setting myself outside of this. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to I told you I didn't like talking about myself, <laughs> but historically they're quality lawyers. And so people tend, they have qualities that good leadership qualities as well. So the people on our management committee ultimately typically have a busy practice, sure. which complicates things because then you've got to run the firm at the same time. Right. But we, we, we've found a happy medium, at least over the past uh, few years, and uh, things have been doing pretty well. Good. Yeah. Good. Mentioned the last few years, as I mentioned at the top, 140th anniversary this year. Yeah, that's right. Talk me through kind of the history of the firm. I know some of the names involved were pretty major names, not only in town, but but statewide. Yeah, yeah. So law firms historically would change their name when you would add a partner or drop a partner. And so uh, back in 1879, and again, let me just set the... uh, if I can have a brief aside, let me just sure. set the, the scene for 1879. So how long ago that was, you had President Rutherford B. Hayes signed into law uh, an act that permitted women to practice in front of the United States Supreme Court, which is interesting uh, yeah. I, that, that that was ever an issue. Uh, and so additionally, you had that. I think that was the year that um, Georgia's own Doc Holliday killed his first man in somewhere in Arizona. Wild West. Yeah. And uh, then Thomas Edison invented the light bulb. So, I mean, that's how long ago that yeah. was. You know, we didn't even have... Contact. Yeah. So, <laughs> so there's that. So, so two men named N.C. Collier and Walter Charlton formed a firm called Collier and Charlton. I'll spare you the rest of the 85 iterations. People joined that firm, left the, that firm. There were firm mergers. Ultimately, that firm became known in 1980 as Hunter McLean, Exley and Dunn, PC, and the name has never changed since. Mm-hmm. And to your point, Adam, we have, have had a number of, through that 140 years history, we've had a number of, of uh, partners that have been influential both in locally and the public sector as well as in state, statewide. Uh, obviously, Malcolm McLean, that's the McLean. Uh, he was a mayor of Savannah from 60 to 66 uh, who helped along with W.W. Law and other yeah, esteemed – uh, yeah, That's right. Uh, he helped integrate – peacefully integrate the city with, with uh, the help of all those esteemed civil rights leaders. And I didn't, I didn't know Malcolm. He passed away right before I, I got to town. But uh, many of our partners worked with him, and his fingerprints are still on – the law firm. He is a guiding hand for the law firm, sort of just the way that he um, operated and the things that he believed. And, you know, a day doesn't go by that I don't hear one of our older partners, uh, and sometimes not even that older, uh, m- mention something about Malcolm or give a quote. And with regard to the civil rights era, uh, the statement was from him, as I understand it, was we're going to integrate because that's the law. And it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, you know, they were on the right side of history and did that. But that got him. Uh, he didn't get reelected. Right. But and, you know, but that's fine. That's yeah. that we're proud of that. You know, I mean, that's that's a big part of our history. Uh, the Hunter in Hunter McLean was Colonel Ormond Hunter, whose brother uh, has Hunter Army Airfield named after oh, him. Okay. So there's yeah. a connection there. 
I mean, prior to that, as you and I, I just mentioned this to you a little, little bit earlier, I, I just sort of found this out recently, but one of our partners many years ago at the early, at the turn of the century, around you know, the 1900s, was named Anderson Randolph, and he was a, uh, effectively, as you and I discussed, was a lieutenant governor, I guess the actual title is ex officio successor to the governor for a while, and he, he was a state senator as well in that time, and he helped, as I understand it, found an agricultural school in Statesboro, which ultimately became Georgia Southern. So that's a pretty neat, neat tie. Uh, CSX, he was big. With that's CSX right, big, big with CSX, its predecessor. Uh, that's right. Yeah. So we got again. We could sit here and go through you know tons of different individuals that the firm has had, um, and we've been fortunate to have quality people like that throughout our history. We have quality people like that now, and we have quality people that come and go elsewhere, and we're proud of those people, too. We've had, uh, I think, you know, Brooke Stilwell, who you may know, the, the most recent city attorney. He was an alumni of Hunter McLean. Bates Lovett, a good friend of mine. He's the current uh, interim city attorney. So uh, we we have uh, a lot of people that leave and, and do great things. We Like as I shared with you, we want to support our people to where they can succeed, whether that's with us or somewhere else. We prefer it not to be at a, at a uh, competitor, but if you want to go right. do something else, <laughs> we, we support that and we're, we're happy. And we have people that leave and come back often. I mean, that happens regularly. So, We are speaking with Savannah attorney Brad Harmon of Hunter McLean on this episode of the Difference Makers podcast. Before we continue our discussion, Let's pause and recognize the Difference Makers presenting sponsor and a real Difference Maker in our community, the Savannah Economic Development Authority. The team at CETA is pushing to make Savannah a great place to work and live. CETA is committed to creating, growing, and attracting jobs and investment in the Savannah region. Whether a business looking to relocate to the Savannah region or an existing business ready to grow and expand, CETA is the centrifuge of a propeller, making the connections, helping propel the business to success. Learn more about the Savannah Economic Development Authority and what they do in the Savannah community by visiting CETA.org. Now back to Brad Harmon. That's 140 years. Yep. Where are you now? And more importantly, where are you going? What's the next, maybe not 140 years. Right, right. 10, 20 Well, yeah, I I can probably speak to the next uh, 10 to 20. Uh, So we're a business firm. I mean, we don't do criminal work. We don't do domestic work. We help businesses and individuals solve problems. That's what we do. That's what the firm really has always done. Uh, so we've got you know, large corporate clients. We've got small clients. Uh, and so we have, as you and I briefly discussed before we got on the podcast, uh, about 25-ish years ago, the firm made a decision to uh, f- specialize. John Houston was a managing partner at that time, and he said, listen, we need to try to get away from being business generalists. Let's try to create niches for ourselves. So uh, there was an intentional um, attempt and successful attempt to try to have specialized practices that we believed the future clients would need. So they tried to serve the current need, but then you got to look out, you know, the next five, 10 years to try to find out what uh, is on the horizon and build that you're, you know, it's not instantaneous profit. I mean, you're gonna you have to sink right. costs into building uh, sort of the ex- experience, and we we still do that. So we do that regularly. We we try to look out about what is on the horizon or where there might be work that needs to get done. What types of clients there will be, and I'll give you a good example, a recent, relatively recent example. We started a few years ago a logistics practice group because the port was already. Yeah. large here but in georgia in particular i mean that is a you know logistics and transportation is a huge uh, arena so 
we've got a number of really specialized logistics lawyers like Chris Smith, uh, Colin McRae, David Sippel, myself to some degree. Um, Randy Jordan and Chris Jordan are railroad lawyers. Uh, they're down in our St. Simon's office. So we've got a really big bench depth of these experts in that arena. And at the outset, we didn't have a lot of work in that arena. But now those those folks are pretty much full up with, with lots to do. So that's an example of what I'm describing. We've gotten some lawyers that we've brought from New York and Chicago and Atlanta that uh, could be anywhere. And they have clients that are located in you know, Lisbon uh, or, or Dusseldorf or wherever it may be or San Marino Valley and it doesn't matter where they are. And so they say they want to come to a nice place to live and they either want to come to the beach or you know, Hilton Head or Tybee or St. Simon. So we've been able to recruit uh, lately and we've still focused on that, people with those specialized skills. Uh, and it's, it's changed things a little bit for the law firm. So about 40% of our clientele is based here. And by here, I don't mean Savannah. I mean the Georgia coast-ish area, yeah, uh, area including you know, down in our St. Simons office area, running you know, into Florida, a little bit into South Carolina, and then the rest of the 60% just elsewhere. And by that, I mean you know, Seattle. They're based wherever. They just either have a need here locally or we have a lawyer that is specialized and does their work nationwide or in some limited cases globally. Uh, so that's the firm. That's been a change over the past 25 years. Yeah. You know, and that's con- I think it's con- probably going to continue to change. Expertise and reputation are, are a big deal. I, I that's right. That. Well, a lot of people, when they think of planning and zoning in this town, they think of Harold Yellen. Right, uh, exactly. My partner, Harold Yellen. Right. Uh, they think of employment law. They think of Sean. We mentioned Sean right. Cashmore earlier. What does it take to kind of build that reputation at what point does the firm get a reputation where somebody says i've got an issue in this area hunter mclean does i don't know if they have the person i'm looking for but because of who they are they're calling you guys how much of that that's a really good question that's a great question uh let me i'll use harold as the the test case so harold when he joined the firm years ago he joined and he did admiralty work some of the individuals i just mentioned a little bit ago do admiralty work which I jokingly refer to as pirate law, but uh, it's very specialized. So, so Harold did that a little bit, and then there were a couple of zoning matters that came in from a client, and we didn't have the expertise at that point, as I understand mm-hmm. it. So Harold was told by, I believe, Malcolm McLean, said, you have to learn this uh, because we believe this is going to be a niche practice. And he did it, and Harold is one of the best in the state when it comes to the zoning stuff, uh, planning and zoning. So many years ago, he had one opportunity, and he, the firm said, we'll support you in this. You know, we'll, we'll send you to, to seminars. We'll you know buy whatever materials you need to learn it. Um, but the best way to learn it is to try it. Uh, so uh, that's been he's been very successful in that regard. So that's how we sort of start having that uh, sort of expertise. Uh, I'll also use Sean Catchmar as an example because you mentioned him. Sean joined, had worked in employment, so he had a background as an employment lawyer for a firm in Atlanta, and then I believe he went to Charleston. So he joined us, and we already had uh, Wade Herring, our mm-hmm. senior yeah. partner in that em- employment arena, and Sarah Lamar. And so Sean joined them as an associate, and when Sarah and Wade were already the go-to people, uh, for lack of a better term, mm-hmm. and so Sean became known in the employment arena because of his connection to them, and then he has built his own uh, reputation uh, through very quality work. And so now we have two or three younger associates there that hopefully one day the same thing will happen to them. So those are two different types of uh, contexts, one where we didn't have the practice area with Harold, and it just happened upon it, and then he built it into something 
that's important to the firm. Mm-hmm. Another one, the employment practice, which I think Wade primarily uh, built years ago, yeah. was there when Sean joined, but he's now gotten the reputation because he had he had the ability to work on uh, interesting cases for quality clients. Mm-hmm. And so we have that, luckily, I mean, we're fortunate. We've been fortunate uh, uh, over 140 years to be able to have really quality engagements with quality clients. I mean, that's been... And what's, what's the old uh, adage, I'd rather be lucky than good? Yeah. I mean, we've, we've been fortunate to have clients that we can do that type of work for. Another part of building a reputation is being known in the community. And I know That's right. Uh, Hunter McLean, when you look at boards of nonprofits around the area and, and even uh, government boards, you see your folks on there. What is the whole approach in terms of, of that kind of service? Yeah, that's, that's exactly right, Adam. So uh, the firm's dna includes commitment to the community when we recruit people either a lateral partner or someone out of law school uh we we, from elsewhere or if it's someone we recruit here locally we make sure they understand how important it is to be involved in the community one way or the other we're not saying you're required to be on a nonprofit board although candidly that's what ends ends up happening Um, so what we say is look whatever you're passionate about Find out what you're passionate about, and I bet there's a way we can get you involved in the community. Most of the time, that's on a nonprofit board, or it's on an elected governmental board, for example, with, with Sean Cashmar. Um, we want our people involved in the community because we, we want to make Savannah, we want to make the future of Savannah bright for our children. We want to make the current Savannah stronger. I know that that's a vague term. The way to do that is to be involved, give your time, and don't just be on a board, participate. Uh, you know, you're uh, talking arts and culture boards. You're talking yes. United Way. You're talking the Union Mission. Union Mission. That's right. I'm, I'm on the Union Mission board. Uh, yeah, it's I'm passionate about that. Uh, and again, as as I've briefly discussed, it's not entirely altruistic. I mean, you know, it helps to make connections, sort of, in any business, and that helps as well. But then you also get to know uh, people on those boards in a different sort of context than just having a business transaction with them and you get to know them more personally and that, that creates more of a, t- a sense of a t- tighter community. Right. So, you know, we, we always support our people. We support those causes, those boards. I mean, not just with our time, but with our money as well. I mean, it's a, it's very important to the firm. It's been that it's always been that way as far as I understand. And it sort of goes back. We always talk about Malcolm McLean, but I mean, his big deal was you need to be involved in this community because we, if you want to improve the community, then you ha- you have to put your both money and time where your mouth is. Yeah, yeah. When you're talking about a guy who served as mayor, that's right. That's that sets a pretty high standard. Yeah, that's that's true. Everybody. So before we move off of off of the firm and into some more legal topics, I want to hit on the context of Hunter McLean. As we said at the at the opening, Hunter McLean's the biggest law firm in town. But you're talking about 60 lawyers. Where when you go to Atlanta, that's that's a small or it's a media. That would be a mid-sized firm anywhere. I mean, you know. Although I went to a conference recently uh, where they described mid-sized firms as being between 400 and 700 lawyers. Wow. I, di- I disagreed with that part. Uh, no, it'd be, uh, you know, if you're in a large metropolitan area, it's a smaller firm or mid-sized firm. Mm-hmm. You know, there's uh, firms in Atlanta that are global, and their Atlanta offices alone have 400 to 600, 700 Denton's lawyers. Denton's is one of the... Well, Denton's is the largest firm in, in, the, in, the, world, in right? the world. They have, as I understand it, over 10,000 lawyers now globally which i can't even imagine what that managing partner uh, yeah well so their 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 managing partner the chairman as they call him uh i've heard him i've met him a couple times at some conferences and heard him speak at these places 
And uh, it's interesting. I mean, he gets peppered with questions all the time uh, about how are you able to keep that from just spinning out of control. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. But King and Spalding is a very large global firm. You know, the great reputation here based in Atlanta, Austin and Bird, same thing. Um, and then there's you know for, there's great firms everywhere. Arnell Golden and Gregory, who we work with on a couple of engagements, they're great lawyers. They probably get about a hundred lawyers. So you know, from Atlanta, that's probably considered mid-sized but yeah. uh again they got really quality lawyers at all those places though right. so yeah in our context being 60 lawyers while it may seem that we're large here locally it's with the council that we typically compete for engagements with elsewhere uh and those that are our co-counsel elsewhere we are much smaller yeah, yeah. so it's an interesting spot to be in yeah and that's even though you guys have a broad focus you are still focused. You're not right. getting into lobbying, per se. No, no, no. That, that's that right. You're not leaving. You mentioned earlier, not into criminal law. Right. You're not necessarily into personal injury law. Right. It's, it's, we, do some, we do some personal injury defense, limited right. personal injury defense. I mean, we've got some really good medical malpractice lawyers mm-hmm. uh, who do you know, the defense work. Um, we've got, as part of our logistics uh, group, we, we do represent trucking and transportation companies, and they, you know, they'll be involved in accidents so we'll do the defense work of that but yeah, not sort of the insurance defense type thing we don't, we don't do a lot of that although the um all primarily the uh the admiralty work is through what's not called insurance companies but P&I clubs you know right. who are located in Japan and England and and Finland and you know all these other places so they it's a very it's a very uh fancy way of saying Admiralty insurance, P and I clubs, maritime. Yeah, right. Maritime. Uh, so no, we we don't. We, we there are firms that have lobbying arms. We've made the conscious decision not to get into that arena. We want to sort of focus on our core competencies. But you never know what the future holds on that regard. Um, Difference Makers podcast to remind you about our other regular podcasts, such as the At Savannah Opinion Commute, hosted by yours truly with a new episode that posts every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. The commute is the easiest way to keep up with the latest news and happenings that Savannians are talking about. Search for The Commute with At Savannah Opinion on your favorite podcast app and hit subscribe. Episodes are also available through the savannahnow.com website at savannahnow.com slash podcast. You can also check out our other podcasts, such as Georgia Southern Extra, with its focus on Georgia Southern football, the Do Savannah podcast, with its emphasis on local arts and entertainment, and the daily See You in the Morning podcast that offers a roundup of the day's headlines. And since we, since we talk lobbying, let's talk a little bit about government. We're sitting here the morning after on November the 6th, the morning after the election. And obviously we're looking at big changes come January yeah. here in town. And from as a business law firm who does a lot of government work, a lot of zoning work, what does, and I'm not asking you to, to get into specifics in terms of one way or the other, but what is the impact of government changes or government on a firm such as yours? Well, this one will, uh, you know, there were... It's going to be a completely different council, city council, and uh, our, our lawyers periodically and sometimes regularly are, appear in front of council for a number of matters. So you're going to have uncertainty initially, but that's with any, you know, if this were city council in Des Moines, Iowa, it'd be the same thing if you had that many changes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it'll be both the council getting to know the people that are in front of them regularly asking for things on behalf of clients, such as our, our firm and other firms. 
uh, and then vice versa. So uh, a lot of the, there'll probably be a lot of education going both ways yes. uh, from the new council, uh, new aldermen, um, and also from lawyers, for example. And I, that's what I'll speak to is the lawyers. I know right. you have other people that go in front and make requests, but uh, so. You know, after a period, this isn't the first time this has happened, right? I mean, we had some fairly significant turnover back in 2015. Yes. Uh, it's the same thing. But just humans don't like change generally, and lawyers like change even less. Right. So it's just going to be some uncertainty for a while. And then I think once everyone gets to know each other a little bit better, uh, I think that the process will be uh, – will be effective and efficient and you know everyone's working towards the same goal which is we want to improve the quality of life for savannians right i mean that's that's what the new new council wants that's what we on behalf of our clients want to do so it's interesting though i mean you you know you have this and in, in our uh, current political climate both you know really nationally it's that's what there is is uncertainty you know everyone everyone's sort of hyper focused on on you know national politics local as well here for us so we'll have to see there are nine seats, I think six, and as many as eight could ultimately, because we, we're going to have a runoff for two races, could be filled by people that don't have experience in government. Mm-hmm. For lawyers that have to go in front of council, for lawyers that, that end up working in some way or shape or form with the city on some issues, how much does that going to require you guys to, to really drill down deeply in terms of educating them about policy the law etc cetera, etc cetera. well you know i don't do that work i'm not trying to punt on the right. question i don't do that work so i can't really speak to to what would happen in a typical situation like that mm-hmm. but i it, it appears that all the individuals that were elected are smart folks that are going to be able to get this stuff um so you know whatever the issue may be so uh, there's going to be some time. I mean, there's going to be some for like a, I'll say a learning phase. It's just like curve. right, a learning yeah. curve. Right? I mean, in, in any job, you know, if, when when you when you started, uh, you know, there was a learning curve for you. When I became our managed partner, there was a learning curve. You know, most you know, it's going. What's the old adage again? It's you're you're either going to sink or swim. You're probably going to swim. Right. Uh, so uh, again, yeah, I don't. Like I can official you better. Yeah, yeah, oh, that's yeah. exactly right. I'd like to official you better. Yeah, that's right. Uh, before we wrap up, one thing you brought up to me earlier was the impact on the legal profession of artificial intelligence. And yeah. It's not something that you would typically think of. So when um, go to these law firm leadership conferences, a lot of the uh, questions or at least uh, speakers deal with you know, what's coming around the corner and what's the biggest uh, threat, for lack of a better term. Uh, and one of those is alternative legal providers, which are – um, you know, you've seen the, you know, not rocket mortgage, uh, but those like rocket lawyers, something right. similar, uh, right. you know, where it's, you know, uh, the Robert Shapiro created a company, yeah, which is, the, his legal, name is uh, LegalZoom. Yeah, Legal yeah. Zoom. So, that, you so, you know, there's all of those sort of uh, competition for traditional lawyers. But one of the things that is most concerning, at least at these, con- at these uh, conferences, is artificial intelligence. Because I'll use IBM Watson as the example, because that's the the one that's ubiquitous uh, for, for AI. And it's not not even as advanced as the AI that we've, we're talking about here. But Watson can review and process, ten, let's say, 10,000 pages of documents in a matter of seconds or maybe minutes and then spit out a brief analysis of it. Right? So that's in part what some lawyers do. Uh, so that's concerning because you're having uh, – computers effectively or technology take the place of a component of what we do but the one thing that artificial intelligence has yet to be able to replicate is judgment 
mm-hmm. is sort of human judgment. The nuances. And, that's right. The yeah. nuances and discretion. So as long as we don't have a fully active artificial intelligence, lawyers should still have uh, still have jobs. But it's interesting, and that's changed the technology has changed practice. At least I, I've seen it in the 17 years I've been practicing. Uh, you know, we started. I don't say in the early days of the internet, but internet was utilized in different ways back in 2000, 2002. Email was around, but it was not the exclusive form of communication, uh, which basically it is now right. at this juncture. Uh, so that those had all changed some things, and now we have we have software that are practice specific for our people that we invest in um, because it's an efficiency tool. It makes them be able to get the work done, the competent work done uh, most efficiently, mm-hmm. and our clients appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so technology, we try to take advantage of technology. We don't want to be on the bleeding edge, but we want to be at least ahead of the curve. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of that AI stuff is, it will from everything we've seen, it's probably going to come into play more and more um, in the legal arena. So it, it'll be interesting to see how that works out. Very interesting because that's one thing that always makes me chuckle about the about the law. Is the law a lot of times is black and white, but lawyers can interpret things completely differently based right. on just looking at it, which I think that's is right. Kind of one of the skills of of attorneys. But uh, it'll be interesting to see if they can get AI to figure out how to argue both sides. Yeah, the same. Well, point. see, that's why I think at least for the uh, I'll knock on wood here. That's why I think at least for the foreseeable future, I'll still have a job because uh, yeah. we don't they they haven't been able to replicate that. That judgment, the nuance, to be able to understand the sort of how to make those arguments. That's but. what I tell people. I said, you know, I'm, I only got 15 more years. I think that journalism is probably going to keep kicking for 15 more years. And so you're good, beyond right? that, you know, <laughs> so it's probably the same with with AI and the law. But Brad, very interesting discussion. Thank you for coming in and sharing, and uh, we wish you well over 100 McLean. All right, well, Adam, I really appreciate it. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Thanks to Brad Harmon for sharing his story on Difference Makers. Thank you also to our presenting sponsor, the Savannah Economic Development Authority. Tap into the Difference Makers archives anytime on your favorite podcast app to hear interviews with more of Savannah's community leaders, such as Toys for Tots coordinator Sergeant Anthony Kingdom. Remember to buy some extra toys and drop them in the collection boxes between now and Christmas, by the way. You can also hear an interview with local high school basketball coach Tim Jordan and the Georgia Ports Authority's Griff Lynch. Difference Makers is a production of the Savannah Morning News and SavannahNow.com. Our next episode will post December the 27th and features Savannah's mayor-elect, Van Johnson. Thank you for listening.